Luke chapter 22. If you have your Bibles there, join me in Luke chapter 22. I am going to read uh, more than I normally do, but I need to just kind of give the context to this whole chapter. So uh, follow along as I read here. Luke 22, I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, that's Jesus, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And so he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. And so he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Okay, so now we're going to skip a passage because then they go off, they share the Passover meal together. That was our Bible study last week. Now jump to verse 20. Verse 20 says, Likewise, he, Jesus, also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. This is the A-team, friends, all right? And they're they're like debating. I think I'm greater. No, I am. Okay. Verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he was greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs is he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves." But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, now this is Peter, indeed Satan asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. That your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. All right, off to the Garden of Gethsemane they go for the evening. Jump to verse, verse 47. Verse 47, and while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. 
And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I, did not, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. I've entitled today's teaching, Kissers and Weepers. Kissers and Weepers. Almost sounds like a country song, doesn't it? <laughs> I can hear Reba McIntyre singing it. But anyway, as I said last Sunday, the last six chapters of the Gospel of Luke, as we've made our way through this book of the Bible together, chapters 19 to 24 deal with the final week of Jesus' life. The scene here in chapter 22 takes place in the upper room where Jesus is sharing his final Passover meal with his 12 disciples just prior to his crucifixion. So I've intentionally slowed things down as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke so we can kind of keep in step with what is happening on our own calendar, and then we'll get to the resurrection story in a couple of weeks. But for this scene here in chapter 22, it's, it's a difficult scene because in the midst of this, we find that there are two out of his 12 disciples Jesus exposes for their failure. They're going to fail him. A couple of his closest friends, men that he has lived with and traveled with and laughed and cried with over the last three and a half years of his public ministry, men he has loved and called to serve him alongside him in ministry, two are about to fail him. One will deny Jesus, one will betray Jesus. One will be repentant, the other will be remorseful. One will recover and be restored, the other will tragically take his own life. One will go on to lead thousands to Christ and write two books of the Bible. The other will have nothing more said or written about him. He will simply serve as a tragic example of the ultimate betrayal. Of course, I'm talking about Peter and Judas. Let me start with Judas Iscariot first. He's the kisser in the story. His name Judas is actually a Greek transliteration. His Hebrew given name would have been Judah. And more uh, specifically, it would have been Yehuda. There's no J in the Hebrew alphabet. His name would have been Yehuda. And it translates, God is to be praised. Yehuda is his name. A whole tribe of the Israelites was named after Judah because Judah was also the name of one of the 12 sons of Jacob. In fact, the term Jew comes from this tribal name, Judah. And so this is Judas. He is surnamed Iscariot. Iscariot in the Hebrew is from two words, ish kiriot. Ish meaning man. Kiriot was a town in the province of Judah. So his name is Judas Iscariot, meaning Judas, the man of Kiriot, is what his name means. We know very little about him. Uh, his father's name is mentioned for us in John chapter 12, verse 4. His father's name was Simon. But other than that, that's all we know about his background. 
But there's a very troubling verse about him here in our story. If you'll glance back to verse 3, it says, Satan entered Judas. Satan entered Judas. Judas became possessed, not just by any run-of-the-mill demon. Now, demons are fallen angels that still have the ability to possess people today. Judas was not possessed by any run-of-the-mill demon. He was possessed by Satan himself. He will be one of only two people the Bible records who would be possessed by Satan himself. Judas, and then the Bible says that the, the future Antichrist will be possessed by Satan as well. And so the fact that Judas is possessed by Satan tells us something, that he's not really a believer in Jesus. I mean, he hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. He ministered alongside of Jesus. He walked with Jesus, talked with him, laughed and cried with him. But in reality, he did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Because as a believer in Jesus, you cannot be demon-possessed or Satan-possessed. God does not allow for double occupancy. If God's got you, Satan can't. Now, Satan can oppress you. He can tempt you. He can whisper lies to you. He can try to deceive you from without. But he cannot take over your body and possess you if you belong to Jesus. John would even write in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he, Jesus, in us than he that is in the world, meaning Satan. He, you know, John doesn't say, listen, there's going to be a battle in, in you because there's the potential for you to be possessed if you know Jesus. He makes a distinction. Greater is he, Jesus, in you than he that is in the world, Satan. But at the same time, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, 8, that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we can't be ignorant about the ways of the enemy. We have to be on our guard. We have to realize that he is still on the prowl trying to devour us. But as a follower of Jesus, he cannot take control of your body and possess you. Now, if you are inclined to feel sorry for Judas because of this, don't. And I say that because Judas opened the door. Judas opened the door. Now, that isn't to suggest that every unbeliever opens the door and they're going to be possessed by demons. But when we are an unbeliever and we live in a way that makes us vulnerable to the enemy, then he can take advantage of a person. And here's what we learn about Judas before Satan entered him and why he actually cracked the door for that. There's a story in John chapter 12, you don't need to turn there, but in John chapter 12, it tells us that Jesus was having dinner with uh, some friends of his, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and their brother, same Lazarus, Jesus raised from the dead. And in John 12, as Jesus is reclining, having dinner with his family, along with his disciples who were there, the Bible says that Mary took an expensive jar of oil from this uh, uh, expensive spikenard, and she proceeds to anoint the feet of Jesus with this expensive oil. You know, she's like into doTERRA or something. I don't, I don't really know. And, it's, and it is expensive. So, you know, and so she's, and so she's, nothing's new under the sun, friends. Okay. So, so there she is all into essential oils and she's, but she's pouring this very expensive oil on Jesus' feet, taking her hair, wiping his feet. And Judas standing by sees this and the Bible says that he complains. He says, this oil was worth 300 denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's wage. 300 days wage. I mean, we're talking like a year's salary. 
So he's, so he's like, this is so expensive, it cost a year's salary. You're pouring it out on his feet. This could have been sold and the money given to the poor. That's what he says. But John 12, verse 6 tells us what his heart was really saying. Because John 12, 6 says, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. See, people would support Jesus' ministry financially. This is how Jesus and his disciples were able to travel, preach, and do ministry for three and a half years without jobs. It's because people supported them. And there was a little treasury box. There was a money bag. And Judas was the keeper of the money bag. And every once in a while, he'd dip into it for his own personal selfish needs. And so he was a thief. He was stealing from the donations given to Jesus' ministry. And he was doing it, and, 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 and God saw this, you know, and so he's being exposed here in John 12, verse 6. By the way, I often wondered, why, why was Judas the keeper of the money bag? Why not Matthew? Yeah. <laughs> Matthew was good with money. He was the tax collector. He was used to gathering people's money. But be that as it may, Judas was the guy, and we learned that he was a thief. And so Judas was already devious before Satan entered him. Judas cracked the door. And because he was money-hungry... What do you think motivated him to betray Jesus? Money. How much? How much did he get for betraying Jesus? If you know your Bibles, how much? 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Now, is that a lot of money? Let me tell you what its value would be in today's equivalent, okay? 30 pieces of silver. We know the temple coin, okay? It's been uncovered. A temple coin, a silver temple coin weighs about 14 grams of silver. I looked in preparation for the Bible study what silver closed at on Friday in terms of grams, not ounces, in terms of grams, silver closed at 79 cents a gram on Friday. That makes each coin about 11 bucks. Times 30 is $330 in today's value. Would you honestly betray a friend for 330 bucks? This, is, this isn't like a ton of money. This is $330 in today's value. That's all the 30 pieces of silver was worth to Judas in his day. And he betrayed a close friend for 330 bucks. Listen, you know the saying, everybody has a price, but apparently Judas's price wasn't very high. He was so money hungry and so greedy, he was willing to betray Jesus for the equivalent of $330. And so Jesus, uh, Judas rather then leads a band of Roman soldiers out to Gethsemane where Jesus with his disciples had found lodging for the night. It's dark. So Judas has made a signal with the Roman soldiers. Because it's dark and you can't tell which one is Jesus, I know which one is Jesus, so I will kiss the one that you are to arrest. The one I kiss is Jesus. And this is what he does. And he kisses Jesus. It was not a genuine kiss of friendship, it was a kiss of betrayal. And the truth is there are some people who will kiss you on your face and stab you in your back. This is Judas, not a true friend, not someone who would die for you, defend you, be there for you whenever you needed them. This is the selfish person, 
This is the greedy person. This is the one who was only in it to get something out of it. And if, if it doesn't serve them well, then they don't mind hurting you in order to get what they want. This is Judas. Matthew's gospel tells us that after he betrayed Jesus, in Matthew 27, 3, it says, Then Judas, his betrayer, was remorseful. That's the word that Matthew uses. Remorseful. Judas was remorseful. He brought back the 30 pieces of silver, threw them into the temple to the chief priests. And then the Bible says he went out and he hanged himself. Let me say something to you that we all need to understand. Remorse is not repentance. Remorse is feeling sorry for something that you've done, but it makes no effort to make right with the one that you've offended. That's all Judas was, remorseful. Felt bad about it. But he didn't do anything to make what was wrong right. And so he took his betrayal to the grave. Betrayers will hurt you by what they do. Deniers will hurt you by what they don't do. Which leads us to the weeper in the story, and that is Simon Peter. Peter was born Simon, that's his Hebrew name, and it would be pronounced Shimon. Shimon is a Hebrew word that means to hear or to listen. That was his given name. And Jesus will give Simon a surname. He will name him Peter. And he names him Peter... At the scene of Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, and he asks them a question there. He says, who do men say that I am? Guys, what's the word on the street as to my identity? They say, well, you know, the word is that some think you're Jeremiah, some think you're Elijah, some think you're John the Baptist or a prophet of old. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's the first public profession of faith in the Bible where someone identified Jesus for who he truly is. The Son of God, God incarnate in flesh, the Messiah who came to save us from our sins and to die on a cross. Peter makes this bold declaration of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Jesus, in order to kind of keep him humble, says to him, well, Simon Barjona, meaning his father's name was Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Like, you're not smart enough to figure this out on your own, right? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven, okay? This is divinely inspired. You spoke correctly, but it's divinely inspired. You didn't come up with this on your own. But then that's when Jesus says, and you shall be called Peter. Now, Peter in the Greek, where the New Testament was recorded originally in Greek, it's Petros. It's a masculine word, Petros, it means stone. So he he gives Simon the surname Stone, because this is a foundational thing here. But then Jesus adds, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, a point of clarification for my Catholic friends, okay? Peter was not the first pope, all right? And Peter was also not the one upon whom Jesus built the church. When Jesus says, your name is Peter, he uses the masculine, in the Greek, he uses the masculine petros, meaning stone. And he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. The word rock is a feminine word, petra, and it means boulder, not little pebble, it means boulder. And any of you understand languages where you have masculine and feminine words in a language, like in Greek, a masculine word can never modify a feminine word and vice versa. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, he uses a feminine word in the Greek. It cannot refer to a masculine name, Peter. 
He's not referring to Peter. He's not saying, upon Peter, I'm going to build my church. God help us if Jesus ever built his church on any one of us. What Jesus was saying was, upon this rock, the bolder, the bigger profession of your faith that Peter uttered, that's the rock upon which the church of Jesus Christ will be built. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The ones who acknowledge that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's the way the church is to be built. Not upon a man. Not upon a man. Every man is fallible, including Peter. Jesus makes this bold assertion that the boulder, the rock upon which the church is built is the wonderful profession that came out of Peter's mouth, but not Peter himself. Now, some of my Catholic friends have debated me on this and they say, well, listen, Jesus didn't speak Greek. The Bible's recorded, the New Testament's recorded in Greek. He spoke in Aramaic and the, the language thing there of modification doesn't really work. To which I say this, if you really believe that God's word is inspired by God, as I do, then you have to believe that when the common language of the day, which is Koine Greek, was used to write the New Testament to reach the masses, that God preserved the intent of Jesus' Aramaic words to help us understand what God means about the foundation of the church. It is not Peter. It is the profession of faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That said, let's give Peter some credit. He's bold. He's courageous. Um, When you look in the Bible, it's pretty clear he's an extrovert, okay? Those of you who are extroverts, you know what you tend to do sometimes. You speak first, think later, all right? (laughs) It's gotten you in trouble. It got Peter in trouble a few times. Because check this out, same chapter, Matthew 16. Peter just gets through saying, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Same chapter, a little bit later, Jesus goes on to predict about his impending betrayal and crucifixion, Peter pulls him aside and it says he rebukes Jesus to his face and says, not so, Lord, not so. You're rebuking God to his face. This is Peter. Like he's speaking first and thinking later. This is when Jesus turns to him and says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. In other words, Peter, out of a heart of love for his friend, doesn't want him to suffer. So when he hears Jesus say this, he's like, no, Lord, surely not. I rebuke you for saying it. But Jesus turns around and says, Satan just inspired you. You know, one moment, my father in heaven is inspiring you. And the next minute, Satan is inspiring you. A reminder to any of us, like, be on our guard, right? But this is the kind of guy he was. He had... He had foot and mouth disease. You know, he would just always be putting his foot in his mouth. And in Mark chapter 9, at the Mount of Transfiguration, there Jesus is with with, uh, Moses and Elijah. They appear with him. And Jesus brought Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter's in awe of what he sees. And Mark records that that Peter said, you know, here are these three. Let us build three shelters, three little booths. And Mark adds a parenthetical comment in Mark chapter 9, and he goes, Peter said this because he didn't know what to say. I mean, he's just like, he's just like, I don't know, let's just build three shelters. I'm like, that seems like a good idea. No, it's not a really good idea. And, and scholars believe that, that Peter helped to, to dictate the narrative to Mark when Mark was writing this down. And so can you imagine that conversation where Peter's like, yeah, write this down. I said a silly thing. Write it down. Write it down, John Mark. This is the kind of guy that he was. Courageous and bold. But all of that courage and boldness evaporated when Jesus got arrested. You know, it's really easy to hang with someone when they're popular. 
not as easy to still be their friend when they're not. And if you don't hang out with them when they're not, then it shows you really weren't their true friend anyway. Jesus gets arrested. Peter all of a sudden distances himself. I don't know this guy. There's a conversation between three different people in the courtyard area after Jesus is arrested. He's hauled before the Sanhedrin. Three different people confront Peter. Hey, you know him, don't you? No, I don't know him. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yeah, you're a Galilean. I know you have the same accent. No, I don't even know him. Mark and Matthew's gospel say that at that point he starts to call down curses and he swears. And then it tells us in our story here in verse 60, look in your Bibles at verse 60, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. So Peter denies Jesus three times. The rooster crows, just as Jesus predicted. And I want you to notice verse 61 in your Bibles. I want you to underline it or highlight it if you have an electronic Bible. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. I want to ask you a question. What kind of look do you think Jesus gave Peter? A scowl? A look of disappointment? A look of, I told you so? No. It was a look of love. Because Romans 2.4 says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. We know it had to be a look of love Because what happened with Peter immediately after Jesus looked at him, he wept bitterly. In fact, the Greek term for weep bitterly means to sob violently. He's a broken man. Because Jesus gave him a look of love. That's the look that Jesus gives all of us when we're not right with him. It's not a scowl. It's not disappointment. It's a look of love. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his love for us that draws us to him. Peter was moved. He was humbled by this. He felt his shame over denying Jesus. And he was sobbing out of his brokenness. Aren't you glad that Jesus restores broken people? There's almost an entire chapter in the Bible, John 21, devoted to Jesus restoring Peter. When I take groups to Israel, it's one of the locations we stop. It's a place called Tabga on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. And there we have a Bible study in John 21. And it's a good reminder for every single one of us because what happened in John 21 from Jesus to Peter was this message that some of you need to hear. God is the God of second chances. God is the God of second chances. God is the God of multiple chances. Some of you need to hear that. You desperately need to know that God is a God of grace, that he forgives you and loves you. No matter how many times you may have denied him or sinned against him, he will always take you back. You know that? Church history tells us, now this is not in the Bible, but church history, church tradition tells us that long after Jesus restored Peter, that every time he would get up to preach the gospel, to evangelize the lost, some heckler in the crowd would go, 
Let me leave this point with you. How human of people to remind us of our failures, but how divine of God to remind us of our forgiveness. There will always be hecklers in the crowd to remind you of your past failures, but not God. Because what God loves to do is to remind us of his grace toward us and his mercy and his forgiveness. Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Judas kissed Jesus and died a failure. Peter wept over his sin and lived a forgiven man. Judas was remorseful but not repentant. Peter joined remorse with repentance and found restoration, and so can you. God used Peter as the first one to preach an evangelical message, Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people got saved that day. God was not finished with Peter, and God is not finished with you. He takes broken people and restores them for his glory. And Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Because that's what God does by restoring broken people and then using them still for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you for the examples of Judas and Peter. Unfortunately, Judas serves as this ultimate reminder of betrayal, who went to his grave only remorseful but not repentant. But Peter is a reminder to us, Lord, that though we may fail you, we can join repentance with remorse and find restoration. And you will still use us, Lord, for your glory because you delight to take broken people and restore them for your good purposes. I pray, Lord, specifically for those who just need to hear that you are the God of second chances, that you would minister to their hearts today, that they would be reminded from Peter's story that from time to time we will all fail you. But it's how quickly we are sorry and repent so that we can be restored. That's the key. Help us, Lord, not to give place to the enemy who would want to torment us to think that we have failed you beyond restoration, Lord. But instead to be reminded that you are the ones, you are the one who blots out our sins, our transgressions for your own sake and you remember our sins no more. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of restoration for broken people. And we love and praise you together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you all.